Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. This is part two of an extended interview that I've conducted with Sean Larkins, who is the Director of Consulting and Capability with WPP's Government and Public Sector Practice. Sean formerly worked with the UK government and has all sorts of experience with government around the world. Uh, indeed, he leads WPP's executive education faculty at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy at the National University of Singapore. And he's also a board member of Kantar Public and the author of The Leaders Report, which is this uh, research program that we are talking about at the moment. But certainly... Uh, really interesting, I think, part one. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back to to last week's episode and listen to that. And then you can come back to part two, because it probably doesn't make much sense if you haven't listened to part one. But really interesting stuff. This leader's report is really giving us the snapshot that we need to know to understand is the, the position where we're starting from, understanding those challenges, understanding the opportunities, but also looking at the attributes of high performing government and public sector organisations. So there is a wealth of information and knowledge in this report. So I'd encourage you to go and Google that and understand that. Um, Go back to uh, episode one, if in fact you haven't uh, done so already. Uh, But this is part two. So uh, thanks again for joining me this week. And here is part two of my interview with Sean Larkins. I think you actually, you know, left a bit of a breadcrumb early earlier, uh, and I think this is a real opportunity is around where communication fits into project and program management, particularly in in big government organisations, and looking at you know methodologies such as MSP, managing successful programs, because within that, it mandates that communication. Uh, strategic communication needs to be completed in terms of understanding audiences and other things, and I think that's an op- a big opportunity. And would you would you agree with me that that is potentially a very big opportunity? I would absolutely agree. And and what we have seen in a number of countries around the world is that because uh, the the amount of money that we have to run public services or, or run public projects or run governments is is reducing. You know, we're still in the in the hangover from the global financial crisis. Most of us are still living in countries where the term austerity is 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 used in the media and by politicians on a on a daily basis. Because of that financial pressure, we are seeing more and more public organisations working towards a more fluid approach of working, breaking down those silos, and working on a on a kind of task based uh, process. So stripping away existing standing teams and looking at how we work more around program and project management. And I think, as you've said, that gives us a great opportunity as government communicators to be in at the ground floor of projects and project and policy development process. So I think I think the changes that are happening within government because of the restrictions on budgets, the need to work more fluidly, the need to work on a more project basis is actually very helpful for us. So I'm very optimistic about the fact that that change will help communicators be far more um, visible and influential in policy development. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a great tip for people who are listening. If you know where your pro, program management or program project management area is within your agency or department, go and have a conversation with them because within their models, it sits there. It says strategic exactly. communication. And exactly. and one of the things is, is it, and they don't do it particularly well. You know, they, it's a, in my experience of it anyway, is that it's just cursory, tick box. And so I think that's yeah. where government communicators can really insert themselves and 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 really you know play that influential role uh yeah so that's fantastic in 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 many organizations that have adopted this approach it's been really important that government communicators have kind of um um inveigled their way into those teams because all too often (laughs) that thing about communication is interpreted as okay so we need to do a press release at some point yeah, that's yeah, not precisely. communication at all. That's not communication. No. Sometimes, with the best will in the world, with with the best will in the world, and being as polite as we possibly can, we just need to force our way in. <laughs> Very good. Now, okay, so let's move on. Um, we've still got some some problems to get across here, uh, and and you you sort of alluded to this one before, and this is around capability. You were saying, you know, traditionally, it's the the media management capability, the advertising capability, but we're moving to a different way, a, a different way of operating. The gift of technology now means that we can create and curate content. We can go direct to audiences, but they're different skill sets, aren't they? So what did what did the research tell us about the capability of government communicators to operate in this, you know, fragmented world? Well, only half of respondents to the research said that they have the right tools and resources to do their job. Um, over 40%, I think it was 43%, of people that took part in the research said that they had been in post for more than 10 years. But in that time, few have have been able to build up modern communication skills. So 43% had been in their post for more than 10 years, but they acknowledge in that time they have not been able to build up modern communication skills. Now, if you look at, at Facebook and you look at Twitter and you look at Snapchat and you look at Pinterest, um, were they around 10 years ago? Some of them weren't. You know, some of some of them were only in their infancy. So the jobs that we do have have changed fundamentally in the last decade. But people are not getting the training and the skills to do their job. And one of the things that we were able to do in this research is to identify um, high-performing communication functions and low-performing communication functions. And we were able, depending on the research, to put a, a figure or a percentage that demonstrated the degree to which certain issues related to those. And, I, and I'll, I'll explain that a bit more clearly now. So we found that maintaining sufficient investment in talent, skills, and professional development was, was a, a core indicator of success. And for those organizations that we were able to judge as high-performing, 70% said they sustained investment in talent and skills, as opposed to only 20% in the lowest performing communication functions. So for me, this is absolutely clear cut. The world that we operate in, we communicate in, has changed fundamentally over the last decade. Uh, Our skills have not. We still have brilliant people with media management skills. Of course, that's necessary. But where are the people that really have fundamental digital skills that can create and curate that content that you've talked about, that understand how to commission research in the modern age and interpret it and develop those insights. We are lagging behind in that. So what is the best way that you've seen in terms of those high-performing organisations? How do they 
deliver that education and training? Well, firstly, I think it's about having it's about having a competency framework. Let's sit back. Let's define what we need government communications to do. And if we need government communications to do certain tasks, what are the competencies that we need from people to do those roles? So let's be very clear about the fact that this is not about a hobby horse, that that government communications should be regarded as a profession and operate as such. That means we need people with government communication skills. We found in the research that somewhere like 40% of people that work in government communications have no communication background at all. Now, they may have absolute ability but we need to train and make sure that they have the skills to communicate in the modern age. So, so having that competency framework, I think, is, is, is very key. We've seen many organisations that have set up basically their own internal training academy so that they have a continual programme of, um, of, of training and development, bearing in mind in the modern age that training is not just about going on a classroom uh, going to a classroom and, and 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 listening to the kind of chalk and talk that perhaps we did 20 years ago. You know, where are you investing in mentoring? Where are you investing in in experimental new product projects? We found uh, a real sense of frustration amongst respondents that the organisations they work within are, are risk adverse. They don't like trying uh, trying new things out. So so we found having that competency framework absolutely key having sustained investment and looking at how to fund that. So the United Kingdom, for example, the UK government has a very, very good way of funding um, training and development for government communicators. Every time a government agency or department or ministry has to use a private sector organisation to deliver public communications, whether that's media buying or that's that's content design, uh, the people that run the communication training function get 1% of that budget. Now, I've never seen communication project that can't be run on 99% of its budget. But if you take all of those 1% together and add them up, that's sustained year-on-year investment in developing skills, in developing expertise, in trialling out, innovating, trying new things. So I think the UK example is a really great example. Uh, we see that in, in some other countries, but by and large, that, that doesn't exist. People are crying out for training and development. Yeah. And so... By and large, it doesn't exist. We know that, as you say, that in the UK it does. But of all of the countries that you that you looked at, how many others are really gripping it up? I mean, I think that I think there are a number of countries that that do that do really well. I mean, yeah, there are there are challenges across all across all countries. I think I think the Dutch do some really good stuff. Uh, their Ministry of General Affairs takes responsibility for communications. They have a team that's focused on developing skills in government communicators. I think the Dutch do it well. I think the Canadians do it well. The Canadians have a government communications community that is about sharing best practice. I think the Singaporeans do it well. So there are a number of countries that that, that do it well. And I would be encouraging your listeners to go and look at them and see what you can learn and see what tools and techniques you can steal and take back to your own countries and your own yeah. organisations. And this this notion of a profession as well, and the, this sort of quite a worrying um, statistic, really, that so many people working in communications don't have the appropriate qualifications. As you as you point out, they may have the ability, but certainly not the actual uh, direct skills. Uh, how, how far away are we from communications being recognised generally as a profession with its own? 
competencies and, you know, behaviours and, and structures and, and other things where it is valued and where it is seen as, as an important lever of government? I think in many parts of the world, we're still a long way from that. And I think that's probably one of the, the, the saddest and most frustrating things. You know, I think, it, I think it's, it's intrinsically linked to that, to that last challenge, which is around influence. Um, that government communications isn't seen as being influential enough within government. And, and when we started this conversation, you know, we talked about the fact that, that legislation, regulation, taxation, communication are the four levers of government. And, and so I think we need to work really hard at in improving our influence within, within, within organisations and making people really, really aware of the fact that we are a profession. We need to be treated as a profession. We should be challenging ourselves to develop new skills each year, every year. We should be setting a baseline for the, for the skills and abilities we expect from people uh, who come into our profession. And as I mentioned, the research showed that there is a large minority of people working in government communications that don't have a background in government communications. Now, now if they had access to ongoing learning, develop, learning and development, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Of course, we want to bring in people that have an interest and an aptitude in government communications. But if you are relying on generalists that don't have a special background in, in government communications or in communications at all, and then they are struggling to get access to training and development with the best will in the world, we're working with many, many uh, colleagues who are in effect amateurs. They may, may be well-meaning, but if they don't have the skills, we need to develop those skills. And increasingly, I would like us to set a benchmark or a baseline for the people that we bring into the profession or we recruit into the profession. I've no idea why this is the case, uh, but in a number of countries that we looked at, we found a large number of people who don't have communication skills, but are working in communication departments, have come in from HR. Now, I have no idea what that is. I suppose in some organisations they kind of think, well, HR, you're about dealing with people and you talk to people, great, that will make you a good government communicator. Sometimes that's the case. In many instances, that's not the case. So we need to be very, very clear. We need to be seen as a disciplined profession. We need to set boundaries for our profession. We need to identify the capabilities and skills that we expect of everybody within our profession. And we need to kick back... Uh, when we are, are seeing other parts of, of government trying foist uh, generalists into, into government communications. In, in certain European countries, for example, you can go through four years of the elite schools of public administration and no one talks once to you about the role of communication. That's wow. a shortcoming. It's a failure. Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job in certainly explaining um, the importance. And before I let you go, I do want to sort of finish on this notion of high performance. And because the research also did identify those key attributes of high performing government uh, communication areas. And if we could just quickly run through those so people can understand and, and really check against themselves across these things, whether or not uh, they are they are addressing these particular issues, and if they're not, they can probably note them down and think about how they might go away and and strengthen um, the function within their organisation. So, if you might, if we run through those uh, the key attributes, um, what's the first and most sort of compelling attribute that high performing government communication areas have to have? 
Okay, so we so we identified ten. That's that's a lot. That's a lot to take in over the radio. So if anybody wants to look at the full report, they can just Google the leaders' report, and and it's all online. And and in some respects, I have the easiest role of all, which is just to kind of identify what good teams are doing. You know, the challenge there is to is for is for your leaders to to implement that or to to look at whether that that reflects their own circumstances. But the ten things that we identified as key attributes of high-performing government communications functions. The first was, unsurprisingly, having a clearly defined role for government communication. What do you want it to achieve? In, in many parts of Europe, we see communication being used as a form of demand management because we are still in the age of austerity. How do we encourage those people that can fend for themselves to do so? In other parts of the world, it's being used to increase uh, confidence and trust in government. In other, in other areas, it's, it's about uh, increasing access to government services. So, so the first key indicator is, do you have a clearly defined role for government communication? The second is, do you understand the wider socio-economic and cultural environment that your citizens are living and working and behaving in? And again, we've talked about the challenge of getting sufficient insight on citizens' behaviours. But the second uh, um, attribute of high-performing government communications functions was an ability to understand their communities. The third is about working within a, a collaborative team environment. How do we break down those silos? How do we how do we ensure that we're all working together? How do we ensure that we are um, working as an integrated team rather than separate fiefdoms of media, marketing, um, public relations? The, the fourth, as we've mentioned at length, is about sustained investment in talent, skills and professional development. Uh, the fifth is around uh, maintaining consistency of messages across government and across channels. And this is possibly one of the most hardest things to get right. How do we sit down with our political leaders and get them to verbalise what they want their legacy to be? Not their key policies, but their legacy. And if we understand what our political leaders want to achieve and be known for, then we can start to look at how we support those messages and those themes right the way across government. The sixth one was around understanding and being able to prioritise government communication. And I think, as I mentioned before, we looked at, at, uh, at one government that, that very proudly had 247 government communication priorities. Now, with the best will in the world, <laughs> that's just a list. It's not a list of priorities. So how do we, um, and I think those two points are linked, maintaining consistency is about understanding what the government wants to be known to be achieving. That helps us to prioritise communication. Uh, the, the seventh is about how do we maintain sufficient access to senior stakeholders? How do we force our way into those policy conversations if we're not invited around the table? The eighth is around the responsibility of government communication functions to drive a focus on the citizen, not just throughout communications, but throughout the entire organisation. How confident are we that we act as the conscience of the citizen throughout our entire organization. And the final two is the ability to access a wide range of data sources that help us inform our decisions, that help us tailor our messages, that help us segment our audiences. And then the, and then the final attribute of high-performing government communication functions that the research identified is the willingness to just bypass bureaucracy, embrace technology, and trial and innovate uh, and not be afraid to fail. Okay. Well, that's, a, as you say, a very comprehensive list. And I think 
that's a lot that people can take away, I think, though, and, and really work through that and see whether or not they're taking on those challenges and how effective they are in influencing their organisations to, to take on a number of those, those attributes. Sean, just a final question. Are you, at the end of this vast... Um, exercise, and it really has been a, a monumental piece of research conducted, uh, as you say, all over the world. Are you optimistic about government communication, or how, how did you, apart from being very tired, how did you feel at the end of it? Did you, did you feel upbeat or a bit downcast, or, or what's the mood, or what's your mood? Certainly not downcast. I mean, I, I think in any in any conversation like this, of course, we focus on the challenges. Yeah. And, and we've just gone through the 10 key attributes of high-performing government communication functions. In most countries, you know, two, three, four, five, even six of those are being done very well. Yeah. And um, the challenge the challenges is getting it right across the entire board. We know we, now we saw many examples brilliant, world-class, very inspirational best practice that, that we've placed on. We've, I think we've put 10 examples on the, on the, on the website. So, so I'm, not, I'm not downhearted at all because what we do is, is, is incredibly important and we are doing it in extremely challenging times. You know, we see that disconnect between citizens and, 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 and government. We see that fracturing of the media landscape. We see that desire for more two-way communication amongst citizens. We see the fact that citizen expectations of public services are are probably unrealistic. You know, they're going through the roof at a time where many governments are having to cut back. So we work in extremely difficult and challenging uh, environments. Uh, And yet at the same time, we see thousands and thousands of dedicated and motivated and frequently skilled people Sometimes this, the, the skills they have are, are, are perhaps too narrow for the challenges that they face. But these are people that want to change the world. These are people that want to have, that want to make a difference in society. And some of the challenges that governments are facing, like the need to be smaller, the need to be leaner and more integrated, the move towards program and project management absolutely plays, uh, I think, in our favour. So I'm incredibly optimistic. And as I said, there are challenges there, but there are no challenges there that, that I think are beyond our ability um, to, 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 to grasp and to then use for the benefit of the, of the countries that we, we seek to serve. Well, certainly on behalf of that community, could I thank you and WPP for your leadership, really, um, in taking on this task of giving us a clear understanding of what those challenges are, but also identifying that pathway where where we can seek to improve in this work that we do. Because I think the, the thing that does drive and does motivate and does unify is exactly that. What you've identified just then is this notion of, of mission and purpose. And I think that's why people do what they do. They could go and work anywhere, but they choose to work in government communication because it is ultimately about strengthening communities and improving the well-being of citizens. So it's why they do what they do. And as I say, thanks very much for really making the effort to uh, to take this on. It's a, it, a vast task um, and it really has created some clarity, I think, and a, a real pathway that people can start to to sift through um, and, and start to make some improvements in their day-to-day uh, work because I think that's the point, isn't it? It's really we're not going to solve this in one, you know, there's no magic wand. It really is about trying to find some of these uh, 
you know, guidances that you've provided in this report and start to apply those consistently, usefully, relevantly over time that will start to to make those changes. So thanks a lot exactly. for, uh, for doing and, that. And you, and you can bet your bottom dollar that if you're, if you're struggling with an issue somewhere in a government around the world, there is a government communicator that has that has gone through it and hopefully got a solution to that. And the, and the challenge for all of us is to just to, to kind of open up our networks, um, look for best practice, look for those people that we can learn from. Um, yeah. And to try not to let the tyranny of pace kind of stop us from 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 moving forward in a way that I think we all want to. Now, where I know you mentioned it during the podcast, but could you um, again just give us the that uh, the website address where people can go and consume uh, in more detail, perhaps the, uh, the the research. So the easiest thing to do, I think, is 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 just to go into any search engine and type in the leaders' report. Um, but the full website address is wpp.com forward slash practice forward slash leaders hyphen report. So uh, it's a little bit chunky and clunky, <laughs> but if you just go into a search engine and type in WPP leaders report, you'll get straight, you'll get straight to the full research. Now, and people who may be listening to this thinking, I actually want to have a conversation with this Sean Larkins guy because he knows what he's talking about. How do they get in contact with you? Again, go onto the website, go and look at the research. Our contact details are all there. Fantastic. Well, Sean Larkins, thank you once again um, for this uh, interview today because, as I say, it's been very, very valuable. And in the 100-plus episodes of In Transition, I think this this double episode uh, has really shone the light in some areas and I think it's – inspiring and uh, challenging at the same time. But I think we take a lot of uh, good news from this report. We understand the challenges a little bit more clearly, but we go back to work and see what we can do uh, to improve the lives of people around the world. So, Sean Larkins, thank you very much. And to you, the listen, uh, thank you very much for joining us once again uh, for this very special interview on In Transition. And I really appreciate you sticking with us to the end. So... We'll be back again with another show next week, but for the moment, bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.